All right, Industry 45 podcast show, Shane Christopher Neal here in uh, Wilando Beach where it's pouring rain. We head out to uh, the home of the blues, the birthplace of rock and roll, Memphis, Tennessee, Zach Bear. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Shane. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and it's Bear, B-A-I-R, not B-E-A-R in case you're trying to Google them right now, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> that, that is correct. That is correct. I get that all the time. Are you, uh, you a big Elvis fan? Uh, you know, I, I, I am in some respects. Uh, it's, Elvis is pretty prevalent here, as you can probably imagine, but he certainly contributed to the way music is today, so for that I'm thankful. But I, I wouldn't say I'm one of the guys that goes and stands at the gates of Graceland uh, every year in August. Right. Have you been to Graceland, though? Uh, I have. I have uh, many, many years ago. Uh, just one time, and uh, as they say, the, the jungle room is uh, spectacular. I've only seen pictures online. I've never been to Ma uh, Memphis or, or to Nashville for, for that matter. Uh, it was on my bucket list actually to happen wow. in 2020. And guess what happened in 2020? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wasn't going to, yeah, it wasn't, was, wasn't going anywhere. Um, you have an interesting, no, you have an interesting story. Not only are we going to talk about your new single and new EP coming out and all those great things, but, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a, a music industry show and you've got some really cool things going on and you've had some cool things going on. Uh, we'll talk about some of them. So let me get this straight. Uh, a media tech is not your company. Now you did start it and you sold it, correct? Yeah, I actually sold that, uh, years ago, back in 2006 to, uh, to Mark Cuban. And he really, I, I think it's dormant right now. I don't think he ever really did anything with it, but yeah, that was a, that was a long time ago. And Mark and has then, uh, Mark has a lot of money, so he can do those things. <laughs> he can do pretty much whatever he wants to do, no problem at all. Um, but yeah, I've been kind of doing the same thing. I mean, once uh, once I sold that company, um, uh, I retained the rights to to do the instant live recording, which is kind of where I got my name in the music business uh, with a company called Disc Live, and that's D I S C L I V E. And we got rolling with that in 2004, and we're kind of known for being the guys that, you know, you can go to a show and then you can get a CD of that night show, uh, you know, when you're leaving. And we work with everybody from the Pixies to uh, REO Speedwagon to Slash, uh, just you name it. We've done a ton of artists and it's a passion that I've been following for 17 years. I don't know what year it was, but now that you brought this up, I was at Darien Lake in um, just over the, the border here in, in New York. And, I saw Kiss, and they had, uh, you could purchase a CD before you went in of the show, and then when you came out of the show, they gave you the CD from that show. First time I'd ever experienced yeah, that, that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was our competitors. That was Instant Live, and, and they were uh, uh, owned by uh, Live Nation, and I think they, they died somewhere around 2006, I guess, maybe seven. Uh, so we're kind of, Disc Live is, Still my company. Um, it's a strategic partner with my other company, uh, Venue, VNUE. And um, uh, there really isn't anybody left that's kind of doing what we do. We also have an app called Set.fm, so we can send the content directly to your iOS device. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Let's talk about Venue. You mentioned VNUE, by the way. That's how you spell it. So my understanding is that you're ensuring songwriters are compensated uh, when music is played out in public spaces, and we all hear that when we're out in public spaces. So how does that happen? Like, how do you monitor that? Yeah, so the, the issue has been throughout the years, and the, the 
performing rights organizations like ASCAP and BMI and CSAC and all those, um, they do blanket licenses for uh, content in their catalog that's played in public. And they've been doing that for about 100 years. And for folks who don't know what a blanket license is, it just means that any time that you know, you have a, a business like a bar or restaurant or it could be a grocery store and you're playing music, that music has copyrights and you have to pay a license fee for that. And what a blanket license does, it just allows uh, you to play anything in that particular PRO's catalog. Now, the issue is, though, there isn't and there hasn't been a system to uh, really know for sure what's being played in, uh, in these businesses. And therefore, as a result, uh, studies have shown that the PROs are charging excessively for uh, their blanket licenses in most businesses and radio, by the way. Um, and uh, on the flip side of that, uh, the actual stakeholders whose music is being played, a lot of them aren't being compensated due to the way that the PROs figure the royalties and you know, they kind of weight it heavily on the touring artists that are out there and uh, uh, the ones that are on the radio. But, you know, you have a lot of middle tier and lower tier artists that may have been you know, really big one day and his music is played all the time, um, but they're not getting any compensation or, or the wrong compensation for their plays. So Soundster, S-O-U-N-D-S-T-R, uh, is our solution to that. We've been working on that for quite some time and it just rolled out to beta testing. And it consists of uh, a box that goes into a business and the box connects to Wi-Fi and uh, uh, basically monitors the music that's getting played. And we identify that music uh, and then through a couple of partner databases, we go back and actually figure out who, uh, which PROs uh, have control of that composition. Uh, so at the end of the day, we can have a report that the business owner can share with uh, the PRO that says, hey, look, you know, you know you're basing this on 51% of the market share that you claim you have, but hey, I'm only paying, playing 30% of your compositions you know, in this, uh, in this facility. So we need to renegotiate our, you know, li a license agreement. And our goal is to eventually have a more straightforward situation where it's a pay, uh, pay for play, uh, rather than a blanket. So that, uh, think of it as a utility that the businesses are playing, paying only for what they use. And the, the artists and the writers on the flip side of it are actually receiving that instead of having it go into a black hole and nobody really where it, right. you know, knows where it goes to. Um, so it's not all inter interconnected the software as a service type of situation. Uh, and there's digital modules as well so that we can do this with uh, digital stations and, you know, online presence as well. Let me ask you this, cause I play in a, a couple of cover bands and the question through the years always comes up, you know, cover bands are playing in an establishment songs written by somebody else. What is happening yep. with that? Like, because the band obviously isn't paying, they're getting paid money to play the show. I hope anyway. And is there a fee that, that the establishments have to pay for that? Like I've never really understood that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the blanket license. So each, each of the PROs um, charge a more or less what I call ambiguous amount of money uh, based on roughly like the number of seats in the venue and, you know, what's the activity? Is it karaoke or is it a band or whatever? They all have these oblique ways that they figure out how much they want these businesses to pay for cover music that's played uh, in their establishment. And that's really the unfair part um, because 
for for example, I own a small venue. Uh, I actually have two here in Memphis, and one of them plays almost exclusively uh, original music. And really, what drove me to 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 do this Soundster project was the fact that I had these ASCAP and BMI guys beating my my door down, and and literally at one time I had a guy come in with two fingers, you know, in a suit, no less. But you know, they want to try to put you through the ringers and threaten to sue you and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of had my fill of it. And I was like, Hey, look, you know, you know, how do you know that? How do I know that Elton John's getting paid for the cover song that the band played last night? Right. You know, the typical answer is, Oh, well, that's not my department or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the answer is they're not, you know, so you have, you know, a great example of this is uh, my buddy and my colleague in venue, his name is Tony Cardenas, uh, better known as T- uh, Tony Montana from the original great white and uh, currently is out still working with Jack Russell and his incarnation of that band. Well, Tony wrote a bunch of those great white songs, and they're played in bars all the time. You know, at some point across the country, you're going to hear Once Bitten, Twice Shy or Mr. Bone or whatever. He's not getting paid for that. You know, he's a middle-tier artist that got lost in the mix. So the club is actually paying for the right to play that music, but the artist is not getting paid for it. So it's a really messed up situation, and that's what we're trying to fix. Yeah, and, and now that makes a lot of sense. And because I've always wondered that, right? You get these bands playing all these songs, and I'm wondering who's paying, and yet the owner, I assume, when they, as you said, start up their establishment, are filling some form out that says, I'm going to have live music Friday, Saturday, and it's cover bands, et cetera, et cetera. And they're paying money into something probably going nowhere, but if they don't pay, someone's going to come in and say, You can't have live music. So uh, you're, you're doing a great well, thing. That, they sue them. Yeah, they sue them. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of businesses, especially small mom and pops, end up getting shut down because of lawsuits implemented by ASCAP and BMI. Um, you know, it's, it's tactics that go back 100 years. And with the advent of technology, we can solve that problem so we don't have to deal with that. And that's, that's kind of where we're going with it. What are you saying, Zach? The music industry isn't fair? i know i know i have Um, no idea what you're talking about i want to talk about your music but now this is killing me because now you're into a uh, something that is is near and dear to me too but currently obviously music is is being streamed digitally um for the most part or downloaded and real quick before we get to your music what are your thoughts on what's going on in the music industry right now i mean some things are making a comeback like vinyl is coming back in fact i think cds a little bit are even coming back but for the most part it's all online streaming electronic artists are not making the money that they used to and if you're that middle tier artist the only way you're making money is touring and in covid world you're not touring so give give me your quick thoughts on that yeah so i mean it's it's definitely a dynamic shift and the way that literally every band from big bands to small bands are operating and uh, you know, there's been a lot of innovation and a lot of interesting things happen with the online space and with streaming and being able to, you know, put up a Venmo link and things like that. Um, uh, we actually, the other side to venue is our set.fm product, the one I mentioned to you before, uh, which is an audio product. Um, it, it has a consumer app and it also has a studio app and a studio uh, digital audio workstation plugin so that artists can actually leverage our platform while they're streaming and do it seamlessly and actually sell that audio content. But I think what's going to happen is, you know, the touring's not going to really start 
until 2021. And there's rumors that the big shows might not even start until 2022. Um, and everybody's scrambling to, 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 to make money. And I think that people are just going to have, musicians are going to have to shift into a different mode. And, I, you know, I don't think Venmo, uh, Venmo and, you know, PayPal will get it. You know, I think they have to look at tools like we have with FedFM and be able to, you know, monetize and market that company and do so uh, with a uh, more of a grassroots type of, uh, uh, of outreach. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's hard to say where it's going to go. Uh, I feel like that um, live shows are so important to, uh, to artists, especially that's been really been the only healthy section of the music industry until the COVID hit. Um, but I think that people are going to continue to innovate. I think they're going to continue to do like what I did is get in the studio and create uh, so that when the, the the fog lifts, I think there's going to be a really, really interesting time period, uh, almost like a renaissance of, of, of touring and, um, you know, big stadium shows and things like that. But it's going to be a while. What do you think of these drive-in shows that are happening? And I saw one over in Europe where they had like little stages and like, I don't know, five or six seats, depending on how many people were in your party. And it was like in a stadium somewhere it looked like or a big field but yeah like what, what do you do you think that that's what we're gonna be looking at for the next little bit as far as uh you know live shows no you know i mean i think you know there's a few things out there that i don't think are, are going to be sustainable that's one of them um i i think the driving idea is pretty cool i mean it's not the same effect as a full-on concert but the cars are parked far, far enough apart where you can legitimately like back your truck in a tailgate and watch the show or whatever. Um, but I think all some of these other innovations, I saw a really weird one uh, not too long ago. Um, it's going to be, it's going to pass because the, the, the biotechnical companies, technology companies are furiously trying to get a vaccine out there. And I think once that happens, I think things are going to relax considerably. Well, let, um, but let, it's, a good, it's a good stopgap measure. You know, uh, I like the drive in thing. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was interesting when I interviewed uh, David Ellison from Megadeth, and he said, yeah, they would play one. And I'm thinking, are you imagine Megadeth and a bunch of cars lined up in a field somewhere honking their horns to heavy metal or something. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I know. It's, hard to, it's hard to fathom, you know. I mean, the live bands like Megadeth and, you know, my, a couple of my personal favorites like Metallica and whatnot, I mean, I don't know how they'd be able to, touch the audience like they normally would in a real show. But hey, look, it, it, at least it's something and people are actually innovating and thinking about, um, you know, continuing on despite the struggles. Uh, uh, let's let's get to your music here. And <clears throat> we here, uh, much like you do, have a, have a serious issue um, with suicide. And in fact, I worked at the radio station last weekend. Someone called me and said, why is the 406 closed? I found out somebody jumped off the bridge. You know, this is happening more and more. And the thing is, I don't know if it's happening more and more or we're just more aware of it because of technology and social media because you wouldn't have heard these stories uh, as quick or maybe ever. Uh, but your song, Ordinary Girl, talk to me about writing that song and, and the premise behind all that. Absolutely. So um, I actually wrote that song a number of years ago and I wrote it about a young woman that was considering suicide and um you know there was a little bit of outreach and, and and you know myself and her family and whatnot were able to you know provide love and support and 
she eventually was able to kind of get her head straight and decided that, you know, she wasn't an ordinary girl, that she was extraordinary and, uh, you know, decided to stick around. And that's really straight ahead premise of the song. Um, you know, not all stories in the same way. And then last year, um, I had an employee in one of my uh, music venues who was only 28 years old and uh, she killed herself. And it was a shock to everybody. Nobody saw it coming. And she was a real sweetheart. And, you know, that's kind of one of the motivational things that, you know, along with the fact, you know, COVID came along. I'd already been thinking about getting that song and really doing it right. And then COVID came along. At that point, I wanted, uh, I really went ahead and put forth the effort to get that song done and get the EP done, um, leverage, leveraging some of the relationships I've had in the, on the business side to really make a great, you know, uh, a great and memorable song that hopefully will, will touch people and will have a positive impact. And uh, that, that's really kind of what drove me to, to write the song and back, you know, back into the studio. And, you know, I partnered with a, uh, an organization called the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And we're donating uh, 20% of the sales proceeds from the single, uh, as well as the EP, uh, to that organization uh, in an effort to hopefully raise awareness of, you know, this, this problem. That, that I think it's a combination of, yes, it is getting worse, and... The technology has, like you said, helped everybody see that there's a lot of this going on. Right. You know, so maybe I can start a little bit and do my part and, and try to make, you know, save a couple of people's lives. Great voice, too, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Awesome. Uh, so you're doing some great things. So the EP is coming out September the 1st. And people that is correct. and people can, people can get that probably on all the streaming platforms. Your website as well. Every place you can possibly imagine, it will be available. And a single, obviously, is out there already. Right, and that's uh, I'm going to post it as a link too on this uh, on this interview. Uh, what else I want to ask you? This is, so this is going to be an EP, right? It's going to have what five songs? Yeah, there's actually five songs, including "Ordinary Girl," and then the bonus track is. Uh, a remastered version of Rutherford Drive, which was the first single I put out in a long time, which I did last year. So it's a good, it's a nice little, uh, nice little bunch of songs. So after uh, COVID leaves us, says bye, I got to go now. Um, what are you going to do then? Are you looking to, to head out on the road? Is that not something, I mean, you got a, a busy, you know, business side to your life too, right, Zach? So like, what uh, what's your plans to get on the road, do you think, next year if you can, or? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've we've got a forty foot tour bus that's equipped with all the all the goodies like Wi Fi and all that. And you know, I'm really fortunate that I can do my job from anywhere. I mean, my office is technically in New York City, <laughs> but um, I live in Memphis. So uh, we absolutely hope to get on on the road some when this uh, this lightens up a little bit, and I can continue to do everything that I do right now uh, in a bus. That's awesome. Uh, it was great chatting with you. It was great chatting a little bit about the music business. Uh, you're certainly a wealth of knowledge. I listened to a few other interviews and I'm like, holy shit, uh, you really got your foot uh, in, in the door here and doing a great job in supporting artists. And you're a great artist yourself. So uh, congratulations on that. And we're going to check it out right now. The full version, Ordinary Girl, Zach Bear. It is Industry 45 Thank Podcast you. Show.